Happy Friday, and welcome to a new episode of This Week in Apps, a weekly no-fluff data first roundup of interesting news and trends about mobile apps and games. This is Ariel from AppFigures, and I have five highlights and a lot of thoughts for you today. And we'll start with Harry Potter. Harry Potter and Magic Awakening, the game, launched in China last week and took command of the App Store's top-grossing chart very quickly and for quite a while, a feat usually reserved for Tencent and really no one else. Given the almost universal popularity of Harry Potter, I don't find this surprising. And with the really well-thought-out marketing campaign by NetEase, the company behind the title, this success makes a lot of sense. In its first week in the Chinese App Store, Harry Potter brought in $9 million of net revenue for NetEase and Warner Brothers. And get this, around $3.8 million in fees for Apple, according to App Intelligence. I don't always talk about the fees. I kind of never talk about the fees, but it feels a lot more applicable this time around. So just you can see the sheer magnitude of this thing. The success was a result of the brand. Of course, it's Harry Potter. I mean, who doesn't like Harry Potter? And for those of you who are listening and don't, I don't really know what to tell you. There probably aren't that many of you. But also the hype that NetEase built around the title's launch. Luckily for them, Harry Potter makes it very easy. The title used pre-registrations to get momentum, which we've seen working before. But they also made them really, really applicable to the game. They included a letter from Hogwarts and a sorting ceremony a couple of days prior to the launch. And they really made it exciting. Downloads and Revenue reflected that excitement. Our estimates show that the game added an average of 100,000 new users and just about $1.2 million in net revenue every day in its first week. China's App Store has become a new goldmine for international developers as the culture opens up to Western content. Right now, it's less likely to see non-Chinese content in the store, but I'm expecting that to change fairly quickly. We saw how that changed with the launch of Louis Vuitton's game early on the summer, we see it with Harry Potter, and we're likely to see it again when NetEase launches Lord of the Rings next week. Now, what about the kids? China's limitations on game time is definitely going to put a thorn in this launch, and really in any other launch that's coming. But one, this title is likely attractive to kids and adults, and if you think about how long ago it was that the books came out, more adults are probably going to be interested in this, thinking back to those years. So I don't think it's going to be that terrible. And we see by the numbers that it's not that bad. But really what we have to think about, it is what it is. This is not changing unless something incredible happens. And so this is more of a kind of good to know metric because this is what's going to set the bar for future releases in China. And I see more releases in China moving from west to east. So there's a lot to look at over there. And speaking of, of revenue, do you remember Paramount Plus? originally called CBS Interactive. They rebranded back in March, and I talked about them maybe once. Well, it's actually still in the streaming race, and its trend is still very positive. In fact, it's starting to see the big guys now in this chase. Looking at net revenue in the US so far this year, HBO Max and Disney Plus have complete command of streaming, not surprisingly. But just to give you some context, they've earned each more than $300 million in net revenue in the US so far this year, according to our estimates. Behind them is Hulu, with a modest haul of about 120 million, so about a third. And then Paramount Plus, which earned $44 million so far this year. We have Stars, Peacock, and Discovery Plus behind them. Do you see a pattern here? What differentiates Disney Plus and HBO from the rest? 
original content, which is really the name of the game for streamers at this point. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, this is not new to you, or shouldn't be at least. Paramount, however, is not a noob in this space of original content, which is why we see it growing. Paramount Plus is might be the latest entrant to this group, but unlike Discovery Plus, which is also another late entrant, it has the ability to put up a fight, and it can create quality, good content. And I think this is why revenue has been soaring since the rebrand in March. Also keep in mind, this only started back in March where all the others have been around before. Month-over-month growth has been positive for four of the five months it's been available under its new name. And one of those months saw a 34% growth. Not bad at all. According to our estimates, August saw the most revenue in a single month for the streamer, earning 7.5 million bucks in net revenue after they give Apple and Google their fees. And that's a 4.3% increase over July's haul, and July was the 34% month. So things are looking good. I expect the numbers for September to be even higher because of the release of Paw Patrol at the end of August. Paw Patrol is a movie for kids, and so it's not really trying to fight the HBO titles that are coming out, but it's more along the lines of what Disney would put out. Content for kids through parents. So they are trying to put up a fight, and Paw Patrol is a pretty big brand, so it's not just another movie. And that brings me to my almost normal point. Content is king. As cable continues to move to apps, I expect to see streamers fighting over market share fiercely. We've been seeing that really month over month over month. The titles that are coming out, the prices, the offers that are available out there to get these services for free for three months or six months or however long, whichever credit card you hold really gives you a different opportunity. So I imagine that will continue. But while that seemingly is good for us because we're getting all this content, we don't have to go to movie theaters for that, it's also kind of a mess. There are a lot of apps and there are a lot of subscriptions. And so this will not continue. This is too messy to continue on its own for too long. And I've been talking about this a long time. I think the unbundling of cable, cable turning into apps, is going to turn into a single cable app that unifies all of these And we'll go back to exactly how we were 10, 15 years ago, just in-app as opposed to in a set-top box. Now, we also have this little complication or spin that is third-party payments now maybe potentially being acceptable in-app. So we'll see how that changes things. I don't foresee it changing too much because the prices are already fairly low considering the content, but who knows? Next on my list is Clubhouse, audio-first social network which is not really a social network in my opinion, Clubhouse celebrated its first birthday last week. What a ride it's been for the new concept that went viral for a hot minute and raised more money than makes sense. If you've been following Clubhouse's journey here on the podcast, you likely know what I'm talking about and you know what I'm going to be asking. I'm going to be asking what went wrong because the numbers are not great. And the answer is kind of complicated. It's, in my opinion, everything and also nothing all at the same time. See, the concept of audio-only social media is novel, it's new, it's, it's interesting maybe, but it's also really, really strange. Most people I know would prefer writing to talking, especially when it comes to communicating with random strangers. Throw different languages, not being available on Android, and invite-only access, and what you're doing is more of an experiment than a company. And that's what happened for the first few months. Clubhouse garnered 818,000 downloads in 2020, according to our estimates, and most of those came when it became viral in December. Downloads ballooned in February, giving the team 
I think the excitement it needed to raise way too much money while not really improving the platform. The peak died off very quickly, and with it, the excitement about the app that was still not available for Android devices. And at the same time, incumbent social media platforms started teasing their own versions of audio-only communication, and that's really what slowly killed it. Twitter released Spaces in May around the same time Clubhouse finally landed on Android, and then Green Room from Spotify came out almost the same time, but they didn't really do so well. For Twitter, it was not even a noticeable bump in downloads. For Spotify, it meant 143,000 downloads since launch. That's a joke if you think about it. So maybe audio only is not the way to go. And Clubhouse just said, you know, excitement. It went viral. Yay. But then it ended. If you remember the days of early Twitter where influencers were just starting to grow, this is pretty much it, but with a much more massive audience potential, which I think is why Clubhouse managed to get some traction to begin with. Now, I think most users aren't interested in speaking, but rather listening, making Clubhouse more of a live radio show than a communication platform. And that's a very important key. Live radio show, whereas Twitter and Facebook and everything else, you can do at your own leisure. For a live radio show, you have to be there and you have to listen. That's one of those things that just makes it challenging. So you take a system that is very hard and difficult to access, either because you're not on the right device or you don't have an invite and also, you need to be there just at the right time. And if you think about time zones, that becomes extremely difficult. And if you think about life, you can't just stop everything so you can listen to someone talking on this app and you're not even sure what they're going to say. Now, it's not unlike what we see on Twitter and Instagram in a way because people do tend to now be more of followers than creators. You see a few creators and a lot of followers. And it's much easier on Twitter and on Facebook and on, uh, and on Instagram. But if you think about it, those are actually slightly easier because writing is easier than speaking and doesn't require the same hardware, the same space. That doesn't sound terrible. And the same thing for Instagram. Taking pictures is a lot easier than speaking into a microphone, whether you like it or not. And if you think about it, the more I think about it, the more I realize that Clubhouse isn't really competing with Twitter. And it's not competing with any of those other social media platforms. I believe it's competing with YouTube. But... That's also the only way that it could succeed if there is a future for it. See, YouTube rewards creators for their content with ad revenue, something most other platforms don't do. Twitch and TikTok let users pay creators, which is nice, but it's not the same because the user has to pay the creator. There has to be this manual action. There has to be actually a series of actions because the user has to buy coins, then give them to developers or give them to creators. Twitter's new super follows lets users subscribe to creators, which I think is even less good. It's not that it's terrible, but it just requires a much bigger commitment. And that's why I don't think it's going to take off as quickly or as easily. And if you rewind back to two episodes ago, I think, I share those numbers and they were not great at all. So maybe it will happen in the long run. Maybe, maybe not. It, it doesn't really matter because I think the real answer here is if it was automated, it would have been completely easier. And Twitter can actually make it more automated. TikTok can make it more automated. I'm not entirely sure about Twitch, but Twitch is a totally different beast. Uh, but Clubhouse would definitely have to automate something around that. Now, with a user base of 27 million people worldwide based on downloads, Clubhouse isn't necessarily a winner, but it's also not a total loser. It's somewhere in the middle. If they follow the YouTube model and just reward creators automatically, I think they have a chance. That also have to build a successful ad platform first, but you know, that's a whole other thing. 
Now, switching gears completely into something else, New York has been at the forefront of COVID since the beginning. It's continuing to do that with its vaccine passport called Excelsior. I have no idea who named it and why, but it's seeing its downloads in double-digit thousands all of August. And it's not the only app that's increasing in demand. So New York now requires proof of vaccination for most indoor activities, from dining to gyms. I haven't had a chance to try this because I haven't done anything indoors except for working at home, unfortunately. But maybe at some point I will. The app, which holds your vaccine status and is available for anyone who received a jab in the state, is the easy way to show off your status and gain quick entry. Since launching in May, Excelsior Pass was downloaded roughly 2 million times, according to our estimates. And that's about 10% of the total population of the state of New York, which is not as high as I expected, but also much higher than I think any other state here in the U.S. But I suspect most of those downloads are coming from New York City residents, and that population is about 8.8 million, not one. That would be crazy. So the share is about 25% when you put it in that perspective. That's a lot higher, and that just means that people want to go places, I think, and apps make it very easy. Now, there's another area that requires vaccination, and that's travel. There, the app you'd probably expect to streamline things is actually streamlining things. That app is Clear. If you travel often enough, you must have seen Clear before. It's the service that lets you jump, jump the line, kind of, go through the, the quick line in major airports. It recently added support for showing vaccination status, and its downloads have been climbing. Our estimates show that over the last few months, downloads of Clear have grown by a factor of five, from an average of 30,000 per week before the summer to more than 150,000 in the first week of September. I always expected or hoped that the what I've been calling the unlockdown would mean that COVID is behind us and we can get back to normal and everything is just like it was before. But that's not going to happen. I think at this point, we know that that's not going to happen. Instead, this lockdown is all about learning to operate with the threat still around us. Politics, opinions, and even science are making it so that COVID won't be fully gone anytime soon. But as a society, we're seeing signs that the future is more about evolution than it is about rewinding back to a known time. A lot has changed in the last year and a half, and more will change in the near future, from how we consume movies to how we interact with others, and even how we move about in real life. And as I've been saying almost every week now, apps are at the core of that shift. And speaking of the unlockdown, one app that has its downloads directly correlate with the lockdown is seeing things go back to pre-pandemic levels, and that is Ticketmaster. Ticketmaster is an app that you buy tickets for actual real events through. In the last few months, as more events started opening up, downloads of Ticketmaster have started to climb out of the very deep hole they were in during the pandemic. Weekly downloads have suppressed now pre-lockdown numbers. In the last week, they added 280,000 downloads, and the highest peak pre-pandemic was back in the beginning of 2019 at 276. So very close, but post-pandemic is winning. And unlike a temporary spike that they saw back in March, these numbers are the result of a very positive trend, which I don't think is going away anytime soon, and that's good news. Now, you can think about this as the grand reopening, and I think that's great, but really it's the evolution. So it's great news for many who rely on the real-life industry to thrive in order to exist. It's hard to tell how long it'll take to fully get back to normal or get back to normal really completely if 
But judging by this demand, even if we don't, this is going to be great. The most important item to keep an eye on is how events will hybrid access, in my opinion. Sports already do that. They did that pre-pandemic, and that trend has just become more and more and more popular since. So I think that's here to stay, and I've talked about this before. But we have all these other things that you would buy tickets for or you would go to see in, in real life, like concerts and, and other similar events, that are currently just real. They don't have that sort of hybrid, or they're not really as ready for hybrid. And I think they're going to have to adapt. I expect to see a lot more events going hybrid from, um, from concerts, music concerts, to other things. And I think that one will increase revenue, and two, give a more global audience access to what they couldn't have accessed before. I see that with our own events. We used to have events in our office, and we could have the audience that could come to our office at a specific time and a specific day. And then we couldn't do events in our office anymore, so we switched to webinars, which we call AF Chats. And with the AF Chats, we have a completely global audience. Every time when we start one, I ask where people are from, and we see so many countries really spanning the globe. So I think that's a positive. Yes, there is this magic to, to live events that just doesn't translate over a screen. It's everything about it. It's the energy, it's the excitement. But I think something is better than nothing in this case, and we're definitely getting more than nothing by having it available. So that is all good news. The question is, how will Ticketmaster and these other things, other services, adapt to enabling that? We'll see that, I guess, in the future. And on that happy note, I will say happy Friday. Hopefully you enjoyed all these insights. If you did, make sure to subscribe if you haven't already and tell all your friends. And if you want to get download estimates and revenue estimates for your competitors, for apps that you're interested in, just to understand how the industry is doing, head on to appfigures.com slash intelligence where you can get them for a very affordable rate. Happy Friday. See you next week.